What is one thing that sets Jesus apart from every other person who's ever tried to start a religion? Hopefully some of you guys know the answer to that, but we're going to talk about it today on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, September the 3rd of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our 12th lesson on the essentials. And basically, the purpose of this series that we're doing is to define the things that Christianity believes, define the doctrines that make Christianity the religion that it is. And of course, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We are so blessed to have you here with us. We hope you enjoy this lesson, and we hope you take the time to listen to some of the lessons that have led up to this lesson as well, in order that you can get a feel for the context for where we are. So anyway, God bless you guys. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. It's been a super busy week for me. Uh, you know, I'm working on this Daniel paper, and uh, I'm, this is something that I'm going to make available to you guys, uh, because, you know, a few months back, we did a, a series on the end times, and basically the, the point was to refute preterism. And man, let me tell you, you can refute preterism just with the book of Daniel, Man, do they ever have to jump through some hoops to get to their position uh, in the book of Daniel. But, uh, man, uh, it, it's it's something else. But I'm writing you know these papers about it, so that stuff will be made available to you guys when I get done with it. Uh, that'll hopefully be in the next couple of weeks, since it's coming due in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's what's been keeping me busy. And we've had a couple house showings lately. Um, we had one, uh, actually today, that's why this is going up a little bit late, because uh, it was actually scheduled, the showing was scheduled during the time that I usually record, and uh, we have one tomorrow that's already scheduled too, so if you guys could keep us in prayer about that, man, you know how frustrated I am, I think, uh, because I, I bring this to you guys like every week, but uh, you know, it's really just, it's so uh, it's so heavy on my heart to get out to Arkansas as soon as we can, but I mean, you know, obviously with the Lord's timing, but to get out there and, and join Brian and his family to get this uh, this church started. And of course, we're going to be called Mosaic Church of Northwest Arkansas. So anyway, man, I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit to get out there, but uh, Lord, whenever you'd have me go, I'm ready. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer today. Father, it's so awesome to open up your word and learn more about you. Lord, we thank you so much for this study. We thank you for being the author of our faith. So, Lord, we just ask that you will uh, draw us closer to you today, that you'll give us a better understanding of you. So, Lord, we just commit ourselves to that end today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the past couple of lessons, we've talked about uh, the necessity of God's grace, which we receive by faith. That's basically what we've covered in the last two lessons, for those of you who might not have caught the last two lessons. Without faith, there is no grace, and without grace... There is no salvation. Now, how many of you know what the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is? Or one of the biggest differences between Christianity and every other world religion? Well, one of the biggest differences is that the historic leaders and teachers who started all these other religions around the world, whether it be uh, Islam or, uh, you know, Taoism or Confucianism, 
they're all buried in the ground. They have all ended their lives the same way, by meeting death, by dying. But the Bible tells us that Jesus, while he did die on the cross, he rose again. He was resurrected. He thereby defeated the power of death, and by doing so, he proved our justification. But where is Jesus now? Is he buried in the ground with everyone else throughout history who, you know, has ever started a revolutionary religion or a movement? Well, you know, this is something that the Bible actually answers in very plain, clear language. Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples or with the apostles after his resurrection. This is what we read in the first few verses in the book of Acts. But after those 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, this might not seem like a very important issue or a very central issue, but we're actually going to see that it's a critical issue and it's necessary for our salvation. So let's talk about what the Bible teaches about the bodily ascension of Jesus. That is, he ascended in his physical body. So let's talk about that. First of all, John writes in Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. So what we learn here is that right now, as I'm speaking, as you're listening, as we're having this lesson, the accuser of man is standing before God, accusing us of our sins. Now, who is this accuser? It's Lucifer, or Satan, or the devil, uh, whatever you want to call him. He's also known you know, by, uh, by the name the accuser of man. So you might picture the scene described here as a courtroom, and Satan would be the prosecuting attorney, pointing out everything that we have ever done wrong, and he's doing that day and night. Well, God is the judge before whom the case is being presented, but the Apostle Paul assures us that, quote, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Now, the word advocate here, uh, the Greek word advocate, is translated from a Greek word which actually refers to a legal defense. So this is actually meant in a legal sense. Jesus is, in essence, uh, our defense attorney who demonstrates before the judge, before the Father, that our sins have already been paid for by his blood. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 through 14, but he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus once and for all, and Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. And this is exactly where Jesus told his followers that he was going. He told them several times in his ministry. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, we read Jesus telling his disciples, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am... There you may be also. So if Jesus had not ascended bodily, 
physically to heaven. He wouldn't be there preparing the eternal home for us that he had promised. Now, on the night that Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So who is this helper, first of all? It's the Holy Spirit. So this verse is actually indicating the importance of the bodily ascension of Christ. He had to ascend to heaven in order that he could send the Holy Spirit, the helper. So if Jesus didn't ascend to heaven, then we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit empowering us and working in and through us in our daily lives. Now, then after he was crucified, Luke chapter 23, verse 46 tells us that the spirit of Jesus was with the Father in heaven. And uh, so given that, you know, so much for the idea that Jesus went to hell for three days, uh, which is what people such as Joyce Meyer teach. Uh, But anyway, when he was resurrected, his spirit was reunited with his physical body. Now, shortly after he was resurrected, Mary Magdalene saw him and tried to hold him, tried to reach out and grab him. But Jesus responded saying, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. That's from John chapter 20, verse 17. And by the way, I realize that the King James version, uh, or as I like to call it, the King Jimmy version, uh, says, touch me not. Uh, But this is really a a gross mistranslation. Uh, Jesus encouraged people to touch him if they didn't believe that he had really been raised again. If they didn't believe that that was him that they were seeing, he'd say, touch me. You know, so he wasn't saying, don't touch me. He's saying here, don't cling to me. Now, many have interpreted Jesus saying, uh, touch me not to mean that Mary couldn't touch him like he was a spirit or something. But this is obviously not the case. The word cling or adhere Uh, would be a a much more accurate translation of the Greek word there for John chapter 20, verse 17. So anyway, then Luke tells us exactly what happened. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we read, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now the significance of this is that Jesus will reign on earth from Jerusalem someday in accordance with the covenant that he had with David. So Jesus had to ascend to heaven where he would be seated at the right hand of God the Father in order that he could send the Holy Spirit. But why did Jesus have to send the Holy Spirit? Now we find the answer to that actually in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 starting with verse 8 where we read, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then we read in verses 11 and 12 what those gifts are. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So therefore these spiritual gifts which are bestowed to believers by the Holy Spirit as a result of Christ's bodily ascension are used to bless believers and to instruct believers and to help believers overcome the power of evil and temptation and sin in our lives, which is just, that's all part of the lifelong process of sanctification. So the ascension of Christ, the bodily ascension of Christ is necessary for our sanctification. So 
the fact that Jesus ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father demonstrates that God accepted his death as payment for our sins. And further, by his bodily ascension, Jesus was able to carry out his promise to send the Holy Spirit to strengthen and to instruct us in our sanctification. Now, as with all the doctrines which are essential to Christianity, which we've already covered in the, uh, in this series, it really comes as no surprise that several groups deny the bodily ascension of Christ. Now, as we saw in our discussion of the bodily resurrection of Christ a few weeks ago, even some of our own, even these evangelical scholars, deny the bodily resurrection of Christ. So then it comes as no surprise that those same scholars deny the bodily ascension of Christ into heaven. Murray Harris, professor of New Testament studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity Seminary, uh, is apparently, you know, I don't know, chasing butterflies and clouds out in left field. He teaches that the ascension of Christ was a parable. Yes, that's the very word he uses in reference to the bodily ascension of Christ. He writes, quote, The ascension vividly dramatized Christ's earlier exaltation to God's right hand. Uh, and by the way, which, according to Harris, happened at the resurrection. Um, anyway, he continues writing, It was a parable acted out for the benefit of the disciples as a visual and historical confirmation of a spiritual reality, end quote. Man, out in left field, I tell you. Anyway, George Ladd, professor of New Testament exegesis and theology at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary at one point, he was another scholar who denied the bodily resurrection of Christ, and so again, it's no surprise that he too is out in left field with, uh, with Professor Murray Harris about the bodily ascension of Christ. They both deny it. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to cause division in the body or among Christians. I'm not trying to insult uh, any Christians. To the contrary, part of what we've uh, been seeing as we go through this study is that we do have unity in our beliefs. The body is united in our beliefs. These are all things that are essential doctrines to Christianity. But anyone who denies these essential doctrines should really be questioning whether they understand what they believe and why it's necessary to believe these things. But anyway, uh, moving on. Not surprisingly, you know, there are several schools of thought within the New Age movement which also deny the bodily ascension of Christ. Uh, similar to Murray Harris, many New Agers believe that it was basically a parable where Jesus ascended spiritually to this higher level of consciousness. And so according to, uh, to New Age thought, our goal should be to reach this higher level of consciousness, just like Jesus did. And this is actually commonly referred to in New Age circles as the Christ consciousness. Man, this is scary stuff. I, I have no idea how they get this stuff. But uh, other New Agers have a more bizarre interpretation of the Ascension. In some New Age circles, uh, or schools of thought, they teach that there are these ascended masters who are these uh, dead historic figures who have reached this higher level of consciousness. And uh, so the New Agers believe that, you know, if you use mediums and channeling, you can communicate with these so-called ascended masters who live in Tibet, according to some New Agers, or uh, on the planet Venus, according to other New Agers. But obviously, you know, the New Age interpretation of the ascension of Christ is not the same story taught in the Bible. And again, not surprisingly, another group which denies the bodily ascension would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they deny the bodily ascension of Christ, which isn't surprising because they deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 
Uh, instead, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was resurrected as a spirit and either created different bodies temporarily to appear in or used other people's bodies when he appeared to people. And this is, honestly, this is where it just gets really bizarre. According to the Jehovah's Witnesses, quote, usually they, and when they write that, they mean the people to whom Jesus appeared, usually they could not at first tell it was Jesus, for he appeared in different bodies, end quote. Further, they write, quote, in order to convince Thomas of who he was, he used a body with wound holes, end quote. Man, that's just out there in left field with Murray Harris. And uh, and finally, writing of the ascension, you know, it's pretty predictable that they would write that, quote, while Jesus began his ascent in a physical form, thus making possible his being seeable by his watching disciples, there is no basis for assuming that he continued to retain a material form after the cloud interposed itself, end quote. Man, that's just... It's bizarre theology, it really is. But uh, finally, you know, it's worth noting that both the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, the bodily resurrection and bodily ascension of Christ, have been under tremendous attack lately, under tremendous fire lately, uh, from secular sources. You know, considering Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, you know, and there was the movie about that, uh, and various books and movies which have been made, you know, which teach a, a similar conspiracy-type theory, you know, we know that this is the type of garbage that the masses are being spoon-fed by Hollywood. But, you know, there's really no reason to doubt the bodily ascension of Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches that it was necessary in order for Christ to intercede for us against the accusations of Satan, and in order to send the Holy Spirit to give spiritual gifts to believers and to prepare our eternal destiny in heaven. Without the bodily ascension, none of these things would be possible. And for that reason... We take the bodily ascension of Jesus to be an essential doctrine of the Christian faith, and we will not compromise on it. So anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. I want to remind you that this study is being based on the book Conviction Without Compromise, which was written by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes. This is number one on our recommended reading list on BibleStudyPodcast.org. And uh, by the way, uh, just this past week, Dr. Geisler has officially completely retired. He has completely broken away and disassociated himself with uh, with my seminary. And, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of sad for me, in a way. But, you know, I, I am so thankful to uh, to have had the chance to study under him. Uh, I actually, you know, only have two classes left, and he wasn't going to be teaching either of those classes. So the, the classes in philosophy and in apologetics that he you know, once taught at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, uh, I got to take all those classes with him. So, uh, you know, he will probably never, ever hear this lesson, not until he gets into heaven, at least, maybe. But, uh, man, Dr. Geisler, you will be missed. But anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.